0: Hello and welcome to this week's Stats Mom podcast with me, James York, and...
1: Ted Knutson.
0: We're going to take a diversion today, aren't we, Ted? We've been just been talking in the writer's slack about um, the films of Will Smith, <laughs> which I think is an important topic. People won't I, believe you, the 20 years ago biggest star in the world. By it's Hansen. absolutely true. And now now what? There's just been some Aladdin trailers released which was scaring you this
1: morning. I... I I think by my terminology for this is Will Smith is in the Eddie Murphy phase of his career, that that period where Eddie Murphy was like an unbelievably big star, and you know would do some cool edgy stuff. And there's just a certain point where he's just like, no, I just want to get paid, cast the check, give me big checks, and so the movies became less and less watchable and interesting for yeah. people that think, but they were sort of like more mainstream. 30 years ago. Eddie,
0: Eddie Murphy was the biggest star in the world, probably. and he was, he was hilarious, although a lot of his material does not stand up to scrutiny in um, uh, I'm not 2019. Sure it, yeah, I was
1: going to say, it's less a scrutiny factor and more um, he was very interested in pushing a lot of lines, and those lines now have been pushed far back versus the, the time period. It's a different world. But Tom Cruise, we think, is all right, despite his... Um <laughs>
0: Despite his Tom Cruise ness,
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the, so so like going back through the the Will Smith thing, and and it's quite funny. His IMDb page has his face photoshopped onto roles that he turned down, which apparently <laughs> include Superman and uh, and Matrix films, whatever. But like <clears throat> we were we we're going through his career and kind of trying to find the spot where it started to jump the sh- jump the shark. And uh, and Nikos, who is uh, our, our tactical scout, was like, I think it was the the giant mechanical spider. And I was like, Kenneth Branagh was in that movie, you know, like Wild Wild West is the one that we're talking about. Um, but looking back through it, you know, he's <laughs> there have been a lot of bad movies uh, in the last 14 years or 15 years of his career. But the reason why he was the biggest star in the world, <clears throat> along with the music stuff that was good, uh, you know, as he was coming out of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, Bad Boys, he had to run of Bad Boys uh, Independence Day, Men in Black, uh, and Enemy of the State—all of which are like really good, very watchable movies or comedies. I don't know if goods is the right term, but like, hella is, watchable. It's
0: box office gold, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're saying. That's
1: probably a better way to term it. <laughs> I, I think. I think though, know, I we kind of mentioned biggest stars in the world. Like Tom Cruise's career is absurd, like absurd, and and the thing is, it doesn't stop. Right. It just it goes on forever and ever and ever and so many good things in it. So like, you know, I, it depends on who, who you are and how old you are. But The Outsiders is pretty strong. Uh, risky Business, obviously. Uh, we could skip over Legend. Depends on how nerdy you are. But then you get into like Top Gun, Color of Money, Cocktail, which is bad, but watchful. <laughs> Rain Man, Born on the Fourth of July, Days of Thunder. Uh, far and Away is in there, but that's kind of bad. But then A Few Good Men, The Firm, and Mission Impossible rolls in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Interview with the Empire should really count. They're all watchable, aren't they? So, uh, what is it, so, what's,
0: the, what's the recent good one? It Edge of hang tomorrow? on,
1: hang on, hang on. I'm not done yet. So on. we're only in 1996, Mission Impossible rolls in. Then, Jerry Maguire. <laughs> what? Uh, Eyes Wide Shutters is in here, which is weird. But Magnolia, which is a fucking brilliant movie, he's in that. Uh... MIB 2, or no, sorry, Mission Impossible 2, sorry. Um, Vanilla Sky, okay, crap. But then we get to Minority Report, which is excellent. See, uh, I, did, <laughs> I, I dislike Magnolia, but I do like uh, Eyes Wide Shut. So there we go. We've diverged there. Well, I mean, yeah, it depends on, like, what types of films you want. I don't think Magnolia is particularly likely, but I think are likable. But I People, think it's people love good. that film.
0: People love that film. But I, it just it, it irritated me. It's <laughs> I think uh, Paul Anson does a kind of... Um, Marmite films, very much. You either like them or you don't like them, and everyone oh, sure. likes, and, likes and dislikes different ones of his films. I think.
1: Uh, so, so we're at uh, Minority Report is two thousand and two. Uh, Getting The Last Samurai, which is pan, but then you hit Collateral, which is fucking good. Uh, War of the Worlds is in there, eh, probably bad, but interesting and like a huge blockbuster. It is bad. <laughs> Mission Impossible three, which is damn good and like totally underrated, and then you hit possibly his greatest role. <laughs> less, less grossman and tropic thunder which is <laughs> amazing then he had a lot of bad stuff uh, you know it's a little rocky uh but the mission impossible movies are like the thing that kept you know rolling over and so there's a ghost protocol in here there's jack reacher and then you hit one bad but one of the best movies of all time so like oblivion not good but he's like gone sci-fi so he's really stretched into his sci- uh, scientology roots here and then Edge of Tomorrow, which I think is is actually one of the best movies, or one of my favorite movies ever. And it is. It's a sexy. really good
0: for, anything with like um, if you get it right, anything with like kind of time travel stuff going
1: on, I'm 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 always going to like.
0: <laughs> but they do it really well, and, and they
1: got it absolutely track. right. Like, That movie's amazing, <laughs> and Emily Blunt is just like the epitome of sex and aggression and awesome in that. Like she's she's not like sexy; she just is sex. You know, like the she you know the combination of all of that. Uh, rolls together to be like really really cool and a uh, lot of people feel that way about tom cruise
0: men or women <laughs> Wh- whom- whomever uh, anyway we've got a podcast to do ted this has been a, this is probably the longest diversion in the history of starts
1: One podcast i'm sure um, that it's not i'm sure there have been rants that have gone on much longer than this yeah, but yes so we are f- going to do two things today
0: Yeah, a few, uh, what we doing, we're going to have a quick look around the European leagues, because unlike the Premier League, they've actually finished, uh, uh, they haven't finished, uh, the Premier League has, and then we're going to answer some questions, we put a call out for some questions uh, yesterday, so um, we've got a few things to do, we'd better crack on, six minutes wasted on films, but that's fine. Um, Bundesliga 1. You want to go Bundesliga, right, what's the story in the Bundesliga? It it looks like, (coughs) it looks like it's wrapped up at the top, as long as Bayern don't, what? Lose. There's everything to play for is the correct term here. Well, technically, yeah. There was everything to play for on Sunday with Liverpool Man City, but that didn't quite pan out, did it? But, it's um, true.
1: And also, it'd be a lot sexier if Bayern were at Eintracht Frankfurt as opposed to home. Yeah. but and if Frankfurt hadn't fallen off the back of a cliff recently as well. But sure. Well, I mean, small squad, long season. Adi Hutter, who's very good, managed them quite well. But yeah, they're at the end of their legs. But a a win would do them proud as well, because they're still in the mix for European slots and such. They're
0: not going to turn up and just shrug it off.
1: Let's go through the table here. The table, the table, the table. The table has Bayern München at 75 points, uh, plus 52 goal difference. Uh, Next is Dortmund, world's hottest start. Paco Alcacer scoring something like nine goals and thirteen shots or something insane back in the early season. I believe that slowed down a bit, but um, plus thirty-five, so seventy-three points, two points behind. Uh, then you've got Rosenborg Sport Leipzig at sixty-six points, uh, plus thirty-five. Interesting, like the <laughs> the goal difference is in this league. So like Rosenball, like third place is sealed, but that's like the only one of the top six yeah, yeah. or seven that's locked in. And then you get to the fourth place, which in Germany, uh, despite only being an 18-team league, is also uh, a Champions League spot. So that's uh, Mönchengladbach right now. Uh, But Bayer Leverkusen, the boss man's life is uh, also at 55, so two teams at 55 and Eintracht Frankfurt at 54. Uh, Wolfsburg are at 52, so could potentially get to the same points totals, but they've only got a plus five goal difference, so they're not really
0: in contention. Yeah. and Hoffenheim, perhaps Hoffenheim in the Unlucky, so I was looking at our expected goals on that. We basically have the top three uh, clear, but Hoffenheim like quite close behind, uh, and then Leverkusen, like Frankfurt and Gladbach aren't, aren't really the kind of, haven't been strong expected goals, so yeah, Hoffenheim like too many draws. Yeah, that's it. It's the old story, isn't it? I mean, I, I we had a quick look at this uh, yesterday, uh, just you know, a bit of prep and that. And it, it, this feels like a recurrent theme around around Europe, and it was true enough in the Premier League as well. And the, these teams, just beneath, like kind of Champions League or European places, just like one win short. If you could could have found a win somewhere, or you know, one one win or four points or something, that you know, they if they had that in their in their back pocket, they'd be looking pretty, and they haven't. And they're marooned, kind of lost in no man's land. So, yeah, they've lost eight games all season, half and And because too many draws, they're, they're marooned in eighth. But, yeah, relegation looks like it's done. Uh, but, yeah, yeah still it's plenty to play for with one game to go, basically.
1: Well, and and so, like, looking from an a goal, expected goals perspective, like, how closely does this align? Um, yeah, I think we're a little behind on, on, uh, on Germany right now. But how closely does that align to the table? It's pretty good, Ted. I'm quite happy with this one. Like yeah, 'cause this is we'll get to Spain
0: in a minute. Spain spent a lot of the season looking weird, and it is nice when it actually kind of lines up to some kind of some kind of logic uh, in generally anyway. Because um, you know, if it, if it didn't at all, you'd be, you'd be staring at god knows what. But yeah, Germany not bad, and you know bits to play for this week uh, this weekend. I presume it finishes off, um, and yeah, like quite a quite an exciting season. But it looks like Bayern are gonna. Going to get, I mean, by expected goals, buying are like significantly the best team. They're like, you know, um, they've been on a hell of a run. I think they've won like something like 17 of the last 20 games or something to kind of haul themselves back after a slow start. So they are the best team. This is no surprise. They're probably going you know, to win the league.
1: And, and that was that was said like very early on, you know. Mm. And this is why we use expected goals. Like, does it make sense or is it weird? Um, you know, they, they kind of stabilized. I, I think Leipzig are we have as the second best team, they're gonna finish third. Dortmund, you know, far traditionally overperforms, but yeah, they've been good. They've got some good talent. Uh, Frankfurt is probably a little overperforming and Hoffenheim, like kind of goes back to exactly how good Nagelsmann is. Like that that team has changed a bunch. Uh, you know, often selling their best players and he has to retool plus twenty goal difference and basically look like the fourth best team in the league over the course of a season. He's yeah, he's definitely worth someone else hiring him, and obviously he's he's changing teams this summer.
0: Just looking like you know they're they're like seventeen shots a game, thirteen against. So this is you know Hoffenheim games got thirty shots per game in them. You flip that to Dortmund and Leipzig, and even Bayern twenty three shots twenty. 20- Three shots for Dortmund and uh, Leipzig, and Bayern. I think you've got twenty-five because they take so many of the shots and don't give up much.
1: But yeah, action-packed stuff for Hoffenheim. Really, well, uh, that's the thing about Hoffenheim. It's always like that, huh? and and you, they used to just be like the classic over team. I, if in gambling you look at a Hoffenheim game and you're like, "Yep," yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I I think four goals is certainly possible in this one. And I think they went a season where like their matches were on average four goals. <laughs> Peter v, Peter, I always
0: remember Peterborough used to be like that back in a few years. back. Peterborough were like kind of everyone's team for a coupon kind of thing.
1: Right, where should we go now? We've got Italy, Spain, or France out of the Let's not leagues. do France. France feels like it's mostly done outside of Monaco being really weird at the bottom of the table. Uh, Mon- Monaco are tied on one point goal- of goal difference off of getting relegated, or at least being in the relegation playoffs. Uh, I had a quick look at the... The, t- the expected goals lines up quite well there. Monaco, a bit of an outlier. They're
0: kind of like an average expected goals team overall, but obviously they're not in a good spot at all right now. And they could do with could do with plucking a result out of there from somewhere. But you're right, the top of the table looks to be generally done. Let's go to España. OK, Spain. Click, click, click. Over in Spain, one game to go. Right, for top two, top three is all done. And then suddenly it gets interesting in that fourth-place slot. Hitafe um, spent a re- recent amount of time in in that fourth base spot and would have been a kind of a bit of a kind of a dream a dream slot for them if they could have made it. it uh, looks like Valencia finally learned how to win games though in in recent weeks. I hear that helps. <laughs>
1: 16, mean, 16 draws does not help you if you want to make it to the top of the table
0: they had an insane run and they just couldn't buy, couldn't buy wins at all and just kept drawing it nearly every game a struggle for
1: goals this season as well so but first, they- second and third in that league are locked up uh, you know, Barcelona are definitely winning it uh, Atletico are on 75 points Real Madrid are at 68 and you know their season hasn't mattered for like months uh, <laughs> Valencia on the other hand have had to like grinds and claw and scrap their way up into a Champions League spot at 58 points plus 14. Getafe, who've been there all season, like, unexpectedly so. Alaviz, by the way, fell back, right? Or was it Alaviz? No. Yeah, Alaviz. They fell back to mid-table. Uh, so Getafe are still there. Also at 58, one goal back. And then Sevilla, who have also been sort of grinding and scrapping most of the season, uh, 56 points plus 13. So the final day of the season is... Uh, Valencia at Vila Dolid uh, who are at 16th and safe from relegation, so that's kind of a, a, a DGF game that, as we used to call it, at Smart Odds.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, Chad.
1: I hear you exactly. And Hatafe are home to uh, Villarreal who are 14th and also safe, managed to you know, get a lot of wins late in the season in order to make sure that they stayed in La Liga get the seed. So yeah, that's that's like the, the big play for the end of the season. Uh, Sevilla are facing Athletic Bilbao at home, uh, who recovered after having a pretty terrible first half of the year and are going to finish almost... Certainly seventh. Yeah, yeah seventh. So,
0: I'm just looking at this. This the expect the expected table has got itself in some shape over time. Although it's not, it's not quite as, um, and like I say, it's been odd all most of the season. Barcelona, we we have the best team. Madrid, Sevilla and Valencia, we all have like fairly kind of similarly ranked. Um, Atletico Madrid, a little bit behind them, but again, funniness with them is not. Unusual when it comes to expected goals. Interesting point about this table. I was just looking like you got got uh, Athletic Madrid, like uh, combined shots per game. Again, like 21. Hatafe's like just under 20. Really low uh, athletic club, like just under 20. Um, quite a few of these teams. Um, lagan is like 20 goal, twenty shots. Maybe this is why we've seen a bit of the variance um, this, this season. Like, it is, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's been quite kind of like closely packed when it comes to Um, you know, like shot volumes and stuff and expected goals. You haven't had teams kind of, uh, you know, launching themselves and you haven't got the same kind of dominance that we're seeing in in the other leagues. Well, the lowest shots in the
1: league is 10 and the highest is 16, Real Madrid, who are probably anywhere between two and four off their normal highs. Barcelona are back to to grinding things out at, at 15. So like the second best team, there's only like a five shot difference between the lowest average and the highest average. That's and that's just shots four. So I yeah I, I think I think you're right. We did eventually see the table mostly sort itself out. The only kind of good ish team that we think is is a bit too low would be Ibar, uh, James's favorites. Yeah, if, they're fun. Yeah, you'll, you'll understand that more if you come to our our, our introductory course in analytics. But uh, they've got their own little section there. Um, so, yeah, Spain looks okay. Who, are you rooting for anybody in the in the last days? Do you have a rooting interest in Spain?
0: I don't think I do, really, apart from, you know, apart from, like, Ibar, because I studied them a little bit, but they're they're in mid-table, which, I, you know, I'm not going to spoil the course too much, but that's good. They're a they're small side, really. I mean, I think yeah. you you got to feel a little bit sorry for Huesca, who... Are actually, like a positive shots team, and I think Vallacano are as well. Uh, whereas you've got someone like Levante, who we've got worse with respect to goals, who like you know, allow 17 shots per game, take 11. It's all a bit Burnley. This <laughs> are Levante, Spain's Burnley. I don't know, but like, there's definitely, uh, you know, if you look at a team that whose metrics don't look very pretty. Then it's them, and they, they look like they're probably going to be. Oh, they are going to be. Safe. I think a, a
1: league this tightly clustered also lends itself to variance, a bit like the championship, right? Like, we we often mm. find teams in weird spots in the championship because it's just like the, the skill levels are very similar, and the coaching levels are also pretty similar, too. Um, I, I feel like I should clarify a comment that I had back about Barcelona um, when I think they were facing, yeah, they're facing uh, Liverpool, and it was the first leg. And I was like, you know, th- those of you who haven't watched Barcelona over the last like decade plus, maybe fifteen years, like this is what they do in European ties, especially with the lead. They they tactical foul, they complain to the ref all the time. Um, it, 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 it's a bit of like the dark arts type stuff, and and it's normal. And um, people are like, oh, you know, you, you must hate Barcelona. I'm like, man, I don't hate them at all. Like, I, there are blueprints of this that that we follow as closely as possible. Tactical fouling is definitely your friend, and you. You know, if you're playing a pressing style you certainly want to institute that at part of your club like you want to trade um, trade fouls among your forwards so that they don't even get carded necessarily or somebody gets carded then but like it's it's an, it's an edge um it doesn't yeah. mean that'm I'm, I'm against it it does mean that like they do this all the time and what was really interesting was to watch them you know surround the ref uh, or complain and and have that cost them the tie effectively with that Trent Alexander goal so, yeah, yeah no yeah, that's,
0: that's 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 quite quite a good point actually and i mean until like football legislates actions out of the game then you're always going to find you know like diving and stuff a lot of people will get offended by diving and stuff um and it's they've attempted to legislate it out of the game to a degree by you know
1: giving cards for deliberate uh, deliberate dives it feels like that's e- eased off a little bit recently. that feels random it feels mm. like the the cards for diving have been wrong too many times
0: But then at the same time, it feels like, you know, sometimes a free kick doesn't get given, and it's like, it's been, I don't know, (laughs) what's a penalty? Oh, he did touch him, like the slightest touch, he did touch him kind of thing, and then, you know, the penalty doesn't get given... And But he doesn't get carded for, for diving, but he did touch him. So, was it apparently wasn't it wasn't? There's real gray areas
1: around this that, you know, feel, like you say, don't feel like they've been consistent. Filing Jamie applied. Barty in the box versus outside the
0: box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The man's like, just... he,
1: he's got ragdoll physics the moment he crosses into the 18, and all of a sudden limbs are everywhere. But if you foul him outside of the box, like, you know, he's he's a lot more scrappy.
0: Yeah, I mean, and this this is exactly what players are going to like respond to. They're going to work right up to the edge of the rules, and that's that's the nature of sport. You know, players in you know, all sports are always going to look look to work to the edge of the rules. Anyway, we've diverted here. What where well, are we? Let's, really do, let's right?
1: move to the craziest league in Europe this season. All right, okay. Serie A, where are we at? And and I say crazy because like it's unexpected and weird in in ways that like were difficult to predict or even foresee. Uh, coming to the season, so you've got Juventus and Napoli one and two, no big surprise there. Juventus have won again off the back of not great numbers, which is a little weird. Uh, they, mm. Like their numbers, the second half of the season were were not particularly impressive. They have a plus forty two goal difference, uh, but only sixty nine goals scored over the course of thirty six matches. Anyway, Juve win the league, um, but <laughs> when you get to third and like the third to eight race has been <laughs> pretty absurd. For, yeah. for the course of the season yeah <clears throat> definitely I, I had a look at this recently and I
0: think like Lazio have been okay but have just been stung by a bit of variance
1: and yet still they're like
0: you know fundamentally a couple of points well sorry a couple of wins were a couple of wins back from you know edge of the Euro, well, European race and edge of the Champions League race um, but yeah if it, again this is what I was saying before like you know Inter a, a point ahead of Atalanta um, four points ahead of Milan and Roma and Again, if you're Milan and Roma, and maybe Torino, even they're they're a win back there. If you're thinking like, "God damn it, we're a win short again," and this is it, it's, it's small, small margins as, as it goes on. And um, Inter look heavy favourites uh, for the third spot, and Atalanta, who I think it, p- people like Atalanta because they, you know, they've they've got a kind of pressing game hipsters, and <laughs> yeah, they they you know they're slightly different from your average uh, from your average um, uh, Serie A team. So I don't think anyone. Would begrudge them getting a slot in in the Champions League next season, but they're like say then M- Milan and Roma. You know, Milan have hung on in there all season, have been close. Roma pretty much standing dish. They they always get in the Champions League, and it looks like they're going to miss out this time. So tough season for them. Uh, yeah, what did our metrics say? Our metrics- we have Atalanta
1: as the third best team, and possibly the second best team actually. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So we have Atalanta as the second best team. Napoli is the first best team, and and Juve. As the third, and last year, yeah, probably felt like the time when Napoli unfairly did not win the league. Like you know, their, their numbers were so much better than Juventus. This year, kind of less so, but still pretty good. Uh, but yeah, Atalanta at definitely feel like they should get a Champions League spot for. Uh, for the performance this season. Uh, Inter are kind of stumbling to the line. Four draws in their last six. Uh, Two wins, though, so that's helpful. And then you got Milan, who had a really good start to the season, but have only scored 50 goals in 36 games. And that makes it hard to get enough wins to get into the Champions League spots. That goal-scoring stuff has been very difficult. Uh, Roma... So Roma, the other end of the card, the, their goals are like 3.09 goals per match or something over the 36 games. Mm. And they're just insane. And they've had a a, a hot run under Ranieri, uh, presumably what Fulham were hoping for, uh, to, to sort of close the season and put themselves in range. But there's a three-point gap and, and a big goal difference gap between them and Atalanta and a four-point gap uh, between them and Inter, So, yeah, the, the, the last, and then Torino are there at 60, so only two points back of, of European places, and Lazio are at 58. So, it's been a pretty cool, pretty tightly clustered uh, from third to, to eighth season. Again, that the thing I hit on in Spain about like lots of teams like being involved in
0: really low kind of event shot games. Like, we do not find this in Italy whatsoever. Like you just said about Roma, a except for Milan. There is uh, <laughs> yeah, quite a lot of shots in their games, and just might not be very many goals. Perhaps their, their shot selection isn't too great, but um, yeah, like you say, uh, Roma like basically thirty shots a game in Roma matches, and nearly you know nearly every team's like twenty five, twenty seven, you know, reasonably high event and certainly compared to. Um, to Spain. So yeah, funny funny season in Spain this year. But I think if there's a team like via the, the expected numbers that looks like they might have got away with it a bit, it's Parma, or Parma Calcio, as they I think they're now called. Uh minus ten shots per game. Hmm. Not good. That's that's not that's that what <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> They've eked out I mean they're not safe yet. Uh, well I uh, two, two games a left. down there.
1: Yeah, so 38th uh, points for the 15th place team, which is Parma and 35 for Empoli who are at the relegation. So Empoli are st- back
0: from the dead two two wins to, to haul themselves into it. And actually, they, they probably have teams above them probably thought they were safe. And
1: Ma- reminds me a bit of croutons, like es- escaping, uh, crotone but we call them croutons, uh, escaping, uh, toward the end of the season when looking dead and buried, uh, <laughs> the Italian teams. So like the bottom half of, of Serie A is really quite crap. Um, there's yeah. not yeah. There's no
0: points is there? Like seven points between tenth and eighteenth. So there's like kind of huge mulch of teams that are all kind of not really, not really putting up some
1: spal you know. still hanging around there. Eleventh spot. Fiorentina, actually, right? So, Shergul, who's our new chief commercial officer, big Fiorentina fan, and they have fallen off a cliff in the back half of the season. They're uh,
0: the one team in amongst that that you're like, right, okay, they're not that good this year. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Udinese as well. They've had some better seasons, like maybe not quite so recently.
1: All right, so that wraps up. Anyway, there's cool stuff happening around Europe. It, you know, football's not done uh, everywhere else. It's the Premier League wrapped up. I don't really feel like we need to cover that. Uh, everybody covered it. Um, oh, I actually, I do want to cover one thing uh, as we go into reader questions. It's a it's a good way to to start that off. Um, so, <laughs> I was talking to my son um, this weekend while we were watching the the match. we were watching uh, kind of simulcast of Liverpool and, and Manchester City, and uh, it was a it was a mass problem. He's like, "How many points did Manchester City have last year?" And it's like a hundred, and he's thinking about it. It's like how many wins from the start of the season would it take in order to match that total? And it really kind of solidifies how insane that City season was last year. And it's only, you know, what, two points worse off this, this past year. Yeah, yeah. But, but the answer is it would take you 34 wins in a row out of 38 games in order to eclipse the 100 points that City had last year.
0: It's crazy. <laughs> it is absolutely crazy to, to think that, you know, They've done that like
1: back-to-back seasons, Ooh. and then Liverpool have pushed them close <laughs> as well. So the, the next question, then uh, Ewan decided to throw us a, a whammy uh, to to start off with. So how good would Manchester City be over the course of a full season if they had to play with 10 men for every match? I had a quick think about this. Um it is quite hard to, and there was
0: a follow-up, wasn't there? As in, which which player would you lose out of Man City Man City's lineup to um, to kind of play with ten. I had a quick think about this, and they're so far ahead, like on um, expected goals, that I think as long as you as long as you remove like someone defensive, um, I would probably just remove a centre back and have Fernandinho dro- dropping back into into the back line <laughs> when they haven't got the ball.
1: Um, he top, might get this, more cards there though, so that's like really gonna mess up their game. He, he'll no longer be Teflon. I, I, I haven't got
0: like you know I haven't got I haven't got science on my side here, but like we've got them like about plus, what is it getting on for plus one point five per per game on expected goals. I think they're still finished top, but like we got you've got teams <laughs> finished you got teams like I think Tottenham we got like plus point point three, so they're still like. You know, miles ahead of of Tottenham. You know, as it
1: stands, take one player off. I, I still think they're probably qualified for the top four. So if you if you do the math on it from a gambling perspective, uh, an early red card, an early red card is about .8 of a goal. Hmm. So now we're subtracting thirty, say thirty or thirty one from their goal difference. That still puts them at like plus forty.
0: I mean, what, this is what I mean that's just still a really good team now,
1: now to be fair like there might be knock-on effects there might be more fatigue yeah, yeah. there might be you know issues where if you had to only play with 10 you know the strategy changes a bit and people can go after them it might have to change Pep's style a little bit but I think that you know top four at least with a coin flip is pretty realistic which yeah. is insane it is and I mean there's no, problem. problems like if you lose a man, in your game and it doesn't really change the outcome, then there are there are too many players on the pitch.
0: <laughs> I just I just think like, you know, if you if you ju- if Man City just continue to play the way that they generally do, i.e. have possession. Like that that, that, that last Batman, you can you can just kind of not lose, you know, happily, but you can you can get away with it. I can't remember. They definitely played a game, I think it was last season, where they where they had ten men for a long period of time. It might have even been Season 4. I can't remember the game specifically, but I remember watching it. it. was basically just... It didn't really change much because they carried on playing in their style and the, the team they were playing... Well, they weren't playing a very good team. Uh, you know, couldn't really react quickly and weren't good enough on the ball to stop Man City just passing it around. So, I mean... they pretty yeah. good, that <laughs> City yeah. team. This is, this is the trouble. So, uh, would you agree to remove uh, one of the back guys then? And continue this kind of like possession heavy style if, if you were picking out or would you you'd be a, um, a little bit more circumspect and say take out take out one of the forwards
1: uh, I think it changes by who you're playing that's a good point yeah so like against Liverpool you're probably not moving a defender no <laughs> and, you know maybe against Chelsea you're probably not because of the the style like that's a that's an interesting clash of styles like sorry mm. sorry is like almost cities or they're like barcelona tiki-taka style really a bit steroidal um and how often they're passing and, and how quickly the ball moves stuff like that all right um moving on how big is the performance gap between the top six and the rest is the gap widening or narrowing and do you see any non-top six clubs on a trajectory to break into the top six next season
0: there's this question. Well, it, it, I. Glued together about five questions that are all about a similar kind of thing and most of them say like go on to, to mention Wolves looking like quite a decent team on the numbers and such they and, do and can they you know can they push upwards i think like numbers wise like arsenal and man united don't look very pretty at all Wolves have like uh via our model have got better expected goals um in this last season um, something something related to this. I, I was I was trying to I was trying to look at contract data um, a short while ago, and I found that wolves. You know, if you're thinking about like how does a team build for the future and like you know build upwards, obviously wolves' trajectory is incredibly fast. And you know, are they doing the things that will stabilise them for the long term? I, like, wolves have got like lots of long contracts. Like like they look like a, they look like a top six team insofar as like they they've got their players locked down for like a, a longish period of time. I think. Uh, and look at this Huddersfield. If I lad like the shortest contracts in the league, which is entirely logical. You know, when you're at risk of relegation, then you don't really want to be signed up for Premier League wages for the next, you know, four years for your entire squad. Wolves kind of the opposite. They look like they've got like, you know, a, a kind of long-term uh, lockdown of a lot of their squad. Oh, they've still got a small squad, so they will need to add. Um, I mean, Wolves, Everton, and Leicester are, are all like they're probably all all kind of like a, a good run away from you know getting on the edge of that top 6 run uh, top 6 uh, level it depends it really does depend if arsenal and man united kind of fix themselves over the summer which they you know certainly could uh by you know securing you know new new players and maybe um maybe moving forward but there's there's no guarantees of that at the same time I mean I think chelsea when chelsea fell apart in uh 15 16 and ended up in mid marooned in mid table that's the last time that's happened um, you know, landing in fifth and sixth, uh, these top six teams isn't actually that that strange a thing. Someone's going to be there, but to like fall away further than that, <laughs> I wouldn't say we're due one of the teams uh, doing that. But it wouldn't surprise me if, if um, you know, if, if it happens uh, next season, one of the teams kind of dropped away.
1: If Arsenal's finishing were to slow down, like they would have had a lot more trouble this season. Uh, and part of that is because they do have two very good strikers, but part of that is they have spent a great deal of their budget on two top tier strikers. And then some other guys that have not been particularly impressive. I don't know what to expect from Arsenal next year. Like if you look at it from a numbers perspective and you say that, you know, typically the regression comes one year out. Um, So, you know, especially with these big teams, they can overperform for a single year, but they can't overperform for two, Uh, which basically puts them like, you know, right at the cusp of mid table. If you, if you give them a skill boost for who they've got, you know, they're still in the same range on expected goals anyway as Everton, as Wolves. You know, Manchester United—they <laughs> were plus eleven in goals this year. Um, Everton were plus eight, so Everton were basically the best of the the rest in terms of like pure goal output. I think the thing that Wolves will have a problem with is that their style this season has been predicated on keeping things really, really tight. And that's where they're at. And the question is, in order to move up the table, you got to get more wins. So you got to score more goals. So they scored 47 this year, which is mm, puts them, what, in the bottom third of the league in terms of goal scoring? Yeah. Can they get to 65? Like, Can you get to a plus 20 goal difference, which is basically what you need in order to be in that top six? And that's the the big question. Is it a noodle question? Is it a talent question? I don't know the answer. That's uh, the def- thing. I mean, the top the top six literally have got like. I mean, Chelsea, Chelsea have had funny like
0: finishing issues uh, for a while with them um, kind of chopped and changed their strikers. But generally, the top six have got like good finishing finishing strikers. They have, they just have. They have superior talent in kind of like striking
1: roles. Um, well, and Wolves were a flat team in terms of shot output, right? Like, mm, just yeah. Basically 12 to 12 or 12 and a half to, to 12. So, like, you know, these are, the, these are the gaps you have to open up. If you're going to. If you're going to go toe-to-toe and, and give up the same amount of shots, then your finishing-slash-expected goals numbers and where your shot locations are has to be a lot better than than your opponents. Um, so, like, I, I think that's the, the big question. Who's most primed to move up? People would say Wolves. I think Everton, you know, with some... Everton showed some interesting wrinkles in the last sort of 10-game stretch that kind of put them back up into the eighth. If they're able to continue on that track churn out some of the the lesser talent they've got around the squad and maybe you know pick up some some players that, that could be better you know that might be interesting we like Leicester's young squad there so that's also interesting I think it's a good segue into into another question which is that what happens with Southampton and what sh- can they can they propel themselves back up now that Hassan Hoodl's there yeah
0: I mean I've I've like there was a, there was a time about six or eight weeks ago
1: where it was like
0: literally numbers wise they hadn't actually like tangibly moved very far since the Hughes days, but obviously their results have got a hell of a lot better, and you know they seem to have created a little bit of um, a little bit of vigour around the club and stuff. It's I think it, it's going to be tough tough for them. They, they've you know they sold players year after year after year, um, which is understandable kind of system, but like it, it's been a while since they hit with um, uh, with with talent, and I. For now, I think even with Assenhutel being a positive, um, probably long term, uh, there's possibly a talent gap for Southampton to actually get back into the kind of top half. Um, I would think it would be quite ambitious for them to like think that they could uh, get their next season but they certainly should be able to like kind of make themselves stable in the premier league again that shouldn't be too hard to achieve so say
1: you've league. got like a three season project from now right so mm. he comes in he saves them he's got three years after this you know give or take um yeah i think you're you're a bit right in that southampton's talent is weaker than it was uh when pocatino was there uh so you've got a you got to churn a little bit better and and you know it's hard to to repeat transfer success mm. you know if you, if your process is really good and and you've kind of nailed it down and you pick all the right targets and you get a little lucky in landing some of those targets as, mm. you know convince guys to come to you then you got a chance southampton are kind of interesting clubs though because like i've you know they got hassan hudl who we think is is hugely rated i talked to a couple of other managers in the past who were quite interested in going to a place like that so it's uh you know, they've got more, I guess, uh, credit on their resume than, than you might necessarily expect. Mm. Uh, one team that, that kind of rocketed down the table through the back half of the year was one that was super hot at the beginning of the year. And James was like, I would predict them to go down. Uh, they, then he got a lot of stick in the, in the first bit, but Bournemouth finished 14th on 45 points. So like, well, clear of, of getting relegated, but still pretty poor compared to where they were.
0: Yeah, their their entire season was kind of based around their sh- schedule. When they had an easy schedule, which was the first ten games, they 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 did what they had to do. I mean, I should credit Bournemouth because every season they go out and they they win games that they have to against their rivals. Yeah, and um and you know gets us like forty something points and and stay up. I, I think I'm slightly frustrated that they haven't managed to like uh kind of like um, build on what is a reasonably strong. I suppose it's quite a strong base now. Um, I still think they're vulnerable to a to a bad season where they do get sucked into the mix. If they, you know, if they just have a few bounces and not go their way, then they could they could end up in a in a proper relegation battle. I, but
1: you've pointed out for a long time that the defense is is you know their Yeah, they're Achilles heel. They finished third bottom and goals goals uh, allowed. So.
0: They always ship loads of goals and they're always quite like quite easy to play through through and you know the,
1: again like But they scored fifty six, so pretty you know, yeah, that's good for getting wins. If they- you want to be if you want to be positive
0: about them, then their attacks their attack is, is quite healthy and quite useful and um, you know, over over years has has, you know, been able to uh, beat lesser teams. But you know, losing five three to Palace on the last day of the season, I mean it doesn't matter, but like it's just kind of like a bit of a shrug of a result, you know. Why are you giving up five goals ever?
1: <laughs> Don't do that. Anyway, last question. All right, minute. moving right along. Stats bomb has been recruited by a billionaire ooh, to <laughs> identify one club outside the top six that the billionaire should buy with the goal of turning that club into a perennial CLPL contender. Which club do you recommend? Oh, it's billionaire. Anyone. <laughs> any any club. <laughs> is, this
0: Bill, is this Bill Gates? Bill Gates, you can buy the whole league. You would you like I don't know. What did you, have you got? A, have you got a, your eye on any of these? I do any of these clubs. Oh, go on then. They're in the playoffs right now. Okay, Who's in the playoffs.
1: You want to buy Leeds? Yes, yes. <laughs> that's yeah, that's the right one then. that I want. Like I think Leeds has a, a really strong historic fan base. I think that it's a great city. I think that they get really good crowds, and and that's the one that I would go after. Uh, you know, that I, partly because like you know, Everton, Leicester, etc. feel like they're kind of in and around the mix. Wolves would not have been the club that I chose, but yeah, you know, that was the the Chinese billionaires and uh, you know the agent connection there. Um, Watford, who had a really strong start to the season and then cooled down again, kind of in and around the mid table mix, which is where they're happy. I mean, Newcastle, I think, is the other one. Uh, so both, you know, one very Northern, the other one, you know, pretty Northern. Uh, I think those are the two teams that kind of have the, the historic, interesting bits about them that you could do some really cool things. Uh, Phil Giles, who is the the director of football and basically head of quant, uh, runs a lot of smart odd stuff these days. Uh, he was from Newcastle and he, he would talk about how, you know, that it could be a football powerhouse. If someone with vision to like, you know, really bring through the Academy and such uh, it was able to, to do that and put in place a, a good structure for it, because it feels like Newcastle should churn out more academy kids who are passionate to play football from up there. So I think those are the two teams that that I would look at, but I, I lean Leeds a little bit. Oh, right, I'm think, gonna
0: having having listened to you there, I'm gonna pick Villa because I can get there from it's an hour away. I can I can
1: commute. <laughs> They've got heritage. Villa has got good heritage. See, I I believe we were we were recommending not necessarily running. So. <laughs> Well, you know, once once we've but once we've got the billionaire to buy the club, I'm going to be Villa Villa do have heritage, and they spend (laughs) like they they have billionaires who own the club already. So, (laughs) yeah, true.
0: Right. What what we got next? Question was who's the rookie of the year? Rookie. If we change young player of the year to first season with over a thousand minutes, I don't really want to do that. I just want to say like just under twenty one or whatever and then just give it to Alexander Arnold and then we're done and we don't have any arguments.
1: Okay, but, I I was going more I wasn't rejecting the premise. I was just gonna choose <laughs> one one bazaka, I think, is by far the most yeah, obvious
0: choice. That's that's a that's a good that's another good one actually, and certainly someone who's just like landed this season and, and been re- you know, really good. So right backs, rookie right backs, it's the it's the that's where the action is this year. Uh, next question. If you're Liverpool, what do you do after losing one game or season and still not winning the title? Do you run it back? Are there marginal things that you can do to improve? Uh, run, push- running it back doesn't fix your probabilities. No. <laughs> like run, Running it back doesn't work. So do your underlying numbers support them being that good, or is there going to be a huge comeback? And I don't think it's going to be a huge comeback, and I've I've said this for a few weeks now. I think Liverpool are the second best team in the season. The next question actually um, like hints on this. You expect Liverpool to regress to eighty five ish points next season? I don't expect that to happen. I just think that's the most likely outcome. That basically Liverpool are as, as good next season as they are this season, but they just lose lose four games or five games, uh, or you know draw the same amount of games, and you know that's ten points gone, and that would that wouldn't be any knock on them at all. It would just be you know the, the what they've achieved this season has been really really fantastic you know off the top of very very good numbers but still not numbers as as strong as man city's numbers and man city's numbers are the kind of numbers that get you into the like high 90 points and has done for like you know last two seasons so yeah hmm.
1: i i think that we're we're struggling with outliers already you know we're we're looking at it and saying how do you overcome city no one knows that's that's the answer no one knows if they were to lose Pep, which is a, another question in here, you know, where would you expect City to finish kind of with this squad and everything going on? Um, you know, so I think we covered in our last podcast how unusual 90 is, right? Mm, like the yeah, yeah. the fifth best before the season had 91 points uh, in the Premier League, which is a lot. So you know, you're know, you kind of looking at probably the 85 to 88 range. I, <laughs> I've taken some stick for saying Pep wrecks leagues but he does and he's <laughs> the Premier League right now looks really weird and if you try and think about what would Liverpool need to do in order to overcome this I mean technically it's win one more match right but they've <laughs> they finished the best in their history and the second best outside of this city team ever uh, actually the first best right so if you if you yeah. discount Pep's two city teams yeah. Liverpool had the best Premier League season ever points total mm-hmm i how do you get better i don't know like no one knows
0: yeah i don't think i don't think there's anything they could particularly do i think you know what we've what we've discussed many times is that liverpool have like you know done really good work with recruitment they've got smart people in they use numbers there that, you know they they they're exactly how you would hope to approach the problem of like trying to win the premier league with a with a top six club that hasn't hasn't got perhaps you know the, the same kind of like financial Backing, they've got excellent financial backing, no doubt, but quite not, perhaps not to the same level that, say, City have, or maybe Chelsea have. You know, when they when they've been spending more freely, but you know, they they they've done everything right, and
1: everything has gone right for them this season as well. It's and a little NBA, actually. It hasn't. It's, it's quite waiting landed. for. It's waiting for like the LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh element to to age, so you get a chance again, or it's waiting for Golden State to change enough so that. You know, teams have a chance to beat that level of talent. It feels a bit like that, which sucks in a way, but also is is like quite amazing. And you should probably appreciate it a bit. Yeah.
0: No, that's that's true. They they should basically just do exactly what they what they've done, you know, up till now. Again, try and strengthen the first team. You know, what I think they've done well with transfers as much as picking the right players is they've picked players to land in their first team. You know, they you, you you want you kind of want to round out the squad a little bit more, but often you know the the two main, two or three main signings have been like straight into the first team. Uh, you know, and they've identified players early and spent reasonably large fees on them, and you know got them in and and been smart about that. Um, they they should just continue doing what they're doing and like this is it. City could have City could one one year have a down year or it just doesn't quite work out for them. Um, it, they've had two fantastic years in a row and Pep does seem to have <laughs> worked out how to how to <laughs> manage this league and make it look like like he did the other leagues he's managed. Despite in.
1: the opinions of the English pundits that said he would
0: never win a Premier League title. Uh, <laughs> it is kind of it is kind of fun that it's it's it's, it's nothing just one Premier League title. It's just it's just like turned it into a whole different
1: game. And, two uh, two best points totals ever. Oh well, I guess that's pretty good. Um. Oh well, it's just the money. Well, that's I mean it is money, but Manchester United could be doing the same thing, and they are merely thirty-two points behind. Um. One one factoid. Uh, one more fun factoid before we move on. Liverpool finished with a single loss this year. single loss if you convert that loss to a draw they still don't win the league
0: (laughs) that's a good point <laughs> still Ever, behind a goal difference.
1: Everyone keeps, fighting keeps fighting these moments, like you know, when
0: they, when the stones cleared off the line and, and this kind of thing. It's like it's whatever, you know, what happened happened. That, could, could have
1: had the invincible season and still not won.
0: And it was Everton. Everton was the last team that took points off off Liverpool as well, which I thought was a, a small
1: irony in amongst it all. They also were the ones that gifted them three earlier in the years. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. It goes both ways. It isn't, it isn't all one thing, is it? So alright
1: uh, moving right along dug him, up dug Uh De Bruyne's season long injury issues not bothering them at all who is Manchester City's single most important player this is a good question actually
0: Pep keeps telling us Pep keeps telling us it's Bernardo Silva week so in the
1: Bernies that'll do for me like, I think Fernandinho is the other correct answer here <laughs> there are many correct answers but like you know, there are not there are two correct answers
0: but like you know, if you look at our, our pressure data, which we, uh, was, is useful, Bernardo Silva is like their standout, like kind of like energy guy for you know, like uh, compressing the opposition, and and he's obviously really quite decent uh, in attack as well. Um, so as a kind of like glue guy who's two goes two ways and does a bit of everything, then you know you can see why Pep loves his loves his player, and obviously Fernandino's a lot of fun as well. Getting. Getting stuck in the
1: defensive end. Never getting cards. How does he do that? <laughs> do you have like camouflage? Is he, is he like some sort of chameleon kit on? So he just blends in. And you can't really figure out which guy it was. So you just let it go. Yeah. I just... can't figure it out. I, I, how, how is this possible? Because like I watch these matches and I'm like, look, if the ref knows ahead of time that just watch for an Andino for, for fouls, like, <laughs> he's going to do enough of them that you have to card him fairly early and then you'll make the game better. I don't know. I'm I'm not look it's it's more dark art stuff I'm just I'm more amazed than than like complaining about it All
0: right, what have we got now keepers someone asked about Rui Patricio how good is he and so Grace put out a tweet the other day uh, mentioning that Kepp was seventeenth in starts from shot stopping model. Who were the best goalkeepers this season? Now Patricio, we've got pretty much middle of the pack, haven't we? He's uh,
1: dead average, definitely yeah. within the the air bars for you know dead average. So he's Certainly. he's next to Sergio Rico and Dubravka and Patricio and just above uh, Alex McCarthy at Southampton. So yeah, yeah, like in in range of being dead average as a Premier League goalkeeper is pretty good. Best yeah, best
0: keepers we've got. Um, all quite quite closely oh perhaps. no no
1: no 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 you so, so the, you can't preface it that way best goalkeepers which you know people are gonna bitch about because they they're gonna get stuck on the selection bias of the mistakes
0: best performance uh, related goals related to uh, goals expected to consider oh uh, whatever yeah but Larice <laughs> uh, apparently like despite <laughs> mistakes apparently he has been good this season people think he's been average I don't know I mean again it's the kind of um, like yeah the error error factors that are uh, factoring in here but yeah we've got basically uh, Kepa's the only top six goalkeeper who isn't in our top six Uh, we've got uh, Lloris uh, Leno and Alisson all pretty close Um, Alisson had like Liverpool's uh, the kind of goalkeeping stroke, defensive kind of allowing. Uh, you know, came back in the second half of the season, not to you know a great extent, uh, but they had a hell of a run at the start of the season. And then we've got Fabianski in there as well. And they're all so kind of. Really Fabianski's
1: second in in our goals saved above average per 100. Yeah. Um, Loris was first, and and you know, again. There's a reason why Tottenham didn't give up that many goals this season, and a lot of it comes back to Hugo actually saving a lot of shots that he might not necessarily be expected, or if your average goalkeeper would not be expected to save. Um, you know, People get hung up on the mistakes, but you, you have to judge this across a larger sample size. Like in, in, in a lot of senses, especially in a pressing system, it's going to look like goalkeepers make mistakes because they are one-on-one and they have to make tough decisions, and so like you're putting a lot more pressure on them. Uh, so it's Larissa at 7.5%. Uh, Flappy Hanski, who uh, had a great season and, and saw a lot of shots <laughs> at West Ham. Yeah, he, but
0: you could probably upgrade him a little bit because he's, he's faced a hell of a lot of shots compared to the other guys up there. Then we got Edison just slightly behind and then De Gea slightly behind that. But like those, those are the kind of like six... Like who have six six that have had seasons uh, in regards to shot stopping that were like
1: significantly um, above average. I'd say De Gea drops rest- a bunch in the last three months of the season. A bunch. And, and that obviously was reflected in the narrative as well also t- potentially tells you how good he was early in the season too
0: yeah and it, it, this is the thing again like you know last season his, his shot stopping was like off the charts good we knew we know he's good he, he's, his, the shots he saved were off the charts good um, he's come back to a realm now this season where he's still saving uh, an above of average amount of shots he's still really good but you know the, narr- the narrative's moved because he's, he's not off the charts anymore, which is entirely normal. You'd expect this to to change over time. Um, at the bottom of
1: the table, looking yeah. at um, you know goalkeepers, that yeah, Begovic was by far, far and away the worst. I, and I think Bournemouth made changes late in the season. I mean, these are their first team goalkeepers. So um, Lossell at Huddersfield, pretty bad. Keppa actually in our ratings with the last um, the last weekend included finished 18th in, in shot stopping. Right.
0: Okay, yeah, I guess I put the chart together that I'm looking at yesterday, but oh dear.
1: <laughs> then Matt Ryan, Neil Etheridge, uh, Rico finished 15th, but like, you know, from Etheridge on, on up, so so 16th on up, uh, you know, everybody looks like not too bad, really. Uh, over the course of a season, you're mostly in the average range, which is, you know, this is one of the best leagues in the world. You kind of expect most of the goalkeepers to finish, to fare fairly well but, it's, stuff. but it's, you know, it's
0: important to look at these things and look you know keep the kind of bigger picture in mind when you're evaluating keepers. Yeah, sure, your goalkeeper might have chucked it in the net twice in the last fortnight, and it's cost you points, and you hate him, and he's the worst player you've ever had. But ever. over the season, is has he done good things? I mean, yeah, maybe he has. That's probably the bigger picture and worth holding on to. Right. I've only got a couple of questions left. Let's do the, let's let's do do the, the last one. one first. Yeah. Are Brighton correct in getting rid of Chris Hughton? I think yes. Um there's been a disconnect between what the the players they've signed it has felt like there's been a disconnect between the players they've signed and what they're trying to do and the style of football that uh, Putin has managed to put out there and their metrics were not good this season and like they got pretty close to getting relegated so there's no harm in actually wanting to try and achieve more and that's not to denigrate what he's done uh, as manager of Brighton uh, football club because he brought them up and he kept them up so but you know if you want to look at the middle of the table and you think that you've got um a chance to get there then now's the time i
1: also think that it was time um having watched his time at newcastle and was it norwich as well mm. yeah i just never showed the ability to to generate an attack so you're basically holding hoping that you're Defense can hold on the entire time and then grind out some goals with set pieces and uh, and counterattacks, especially for Brighton. like That's not the best plan. And they've spent money on that squad. People are like, oh, they've recruited badly. I'm like, I don't know if they've recruited badly. They've recruited differently than the manager. And if you think that there are better ways to play football than the way that uh, Chris Hutton has played, then that probably makes sense if you think that the manager might not be around long term. Everybody loves this guy. Everyone in in all of England says that he's a wonderful guy. I think that might have kept him in a job longer, easy to get along with, you know, pretty special person to have around. Uh, But I wouldn't want him to be my Premier League manager.
0: Yeah, no, you could be right there. And, you know, this is the thing. If, if say, like, you know, it's not going to happen, obviously, but if, say, like, Brighton announced Hass and Hoot tomorrow, you'd be like, right, this is... I like this. <laughs> they've got some players. We can see what they can do next. He's, he's under be- contract
1: to Southampton. I, think, <laughs> I know. That
0: was, a that was, that was uh, you know, just, just the kind of... <laughs> that type of manager would, uh, oh. would um, you know, kind of make, make Brighton seem an interesting prospect next year. And especially, you know, another summer's recruitment. You know, presumably, they've made this decision with a view to, to um,
1: like, growing, within the Premier League and climbing
0: the Premier League so you know yeah
1: to them. I think the you know the rumour or well the gambling lines had Potter as the most likely I actually I really like Graham Potter but I'm also not sure that he fits what Brighton have recruited for we'll find out um, yeah yeah that he was, he
0: was the early favourite there wasn't he right so last question I think has the rhetoric about analytics among mainstream journalists and pundits changed in the last five years? Will the media ever move from talking about Player X's desire to talk about the numbers in the game and why a team has struggled or
1: overperformed? I feel like we have to actually acknowledge that we talked a little bit about desire uh, <laughs> with regard to the Champions League comebacks and stuff like that, and, and, and attitude and mentality. And it's not something that doesn't exist, but you can't talk about it constantly. It can't be the only thing that you talk about because like, that's all that you know because you don't do any research and you don't watch anybody else from any other leagues. And, well, that's just normal pundit stuff, at least in the UK.
0: Well, the one question that we've ignored um, that I put in yesterday was: Can we talk about Tottenham's comeback all- for oh. the entire podcast? And I'd just like to hint on that quickly because that was crazy. <laughs> God damn but it. but this is but this this is um, this is a relevant point here. Henry Winter was on, the, I think it's the Times podcast, and he came out and made a big passionate thing about like you know, oh, you don't need, you know, don't need don't give me numbers and all that. Tottenham's desire to to get them over the line and you know was what mattered in the end and it's like well you say that but the the decisive goal went in in the added time that was added on to the end of added time because the keeper was time wasting and the difference between that and you know Tottenham not getting through is minute and while afterwards you might have said a heroic comeback if Tottenham hadn't gone through you said oh, heroic comeback they didn't quite make it what about the desire of that Ajax team to hold on you know your argument kind of falls down a bit when you consider how how uh, not quite random, but how small how small the margins are between one thing happening and the other thing happening.
1: And um, so, yeah, it's uh, I, look. Everybody needs a narrative, right? You have to explain <laughs> what happens in every single football game. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Perhaps you should look for diversity of explanation in in how you analyze and look at the game. But maybe that's not your thing. I think one interesting thing that I was kind of looking at is is. Barcelona have barfed up three-goal leads in back-to-back seasons. People sort of harp on Messi and Argentina. Maybe there's something in this, right? Like maybe there's something in like how Messi, you know, allows his managers to prepare that holds them back potentially a little bit or changes the mentality. I don't know. I don't I don't honestly know. It's just like, you know, you look for patterns of behavior. Is it totally random that, you know, the best player ever in football, you know, who has a big sway over how his teams that he's on plays and how they operate, Yeah, you that know, they have given up potentially a weird amount of goal in these knockouts. I don't know. They also came back against a weird amount of goals against PSG. So like, you know, there's two sides of it. You can find plenty of things to argue about. I think going back to the question itself, has the rhetoric about analytics changed? Absolutely. Like we're seeing non-penalty goal numbers get, you know, stated consistently. XG is used regularly. We have, we've definitely seen a push, some credit to Opta, some credit to the the analytics community for, you know, pushing back against this and explaining to journalists why these other things may be better. So we are seeing how, especially the journalists, uh, change. Monday Night Football is also a big change. Yeah, don't take that away from it. It's, it's significant how how Carragher and, and Neville talk about football on TV is substantially different. And, you know, very, in some ways, it, it rankles some of those pundits like a or whatever, because they're like, well, you don't need to talk about it like that. Like that doesn't. Whatever it's it's not relevant. Uh, I think Genus is the weirdest one where Genus will do some stuff with like betting companies that you know have some stat stuff going on and he's part of that, but then he also will trot out the traditional lines on Five Live uh, or occasionally in in pundit in commentary. I don't know what to think of him, but I think that we are getting smarter commentary slowly. perhaps it's not as fast as someone would like. I would love to see a BT or a Sky. You know, take a chance on on a group like us or someone like like that who is a little more analytically focused, and just toss it up as like an alternate uh, you know, commentary stream.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. I think there's there's room, especially when you look at American sports and how they they've brought brought in aspects of um, you know kind of like start stuff as, as like part far more part of their kind of programming and and you know discussion um the the coach the
1: coach stream on on the national championship game or when they do that for the playoffs they have like actual coaches come in and talk x's and o's and american coaching in american football is like very different uh you know much more analytical across a lot of them like that always gets rave reviews uh i think the baseball had like a stat stream that also got like really interesting reviews and it's not for everybody like it's not trying to replace it but it's certainly potentially catering to a different audience i also think the stuff that you say, say you're looking for people that are not us that do cool stuff obviously the anfield rapper are using some of our things and their stats program has been really neat uh George Ellick and uh, ali maxwell uh, of not the top 20 podcasts appearing on sky and quest like those guys are doing good work in in the lower leagues and they've kind of found their niche but like you know they're clearly talented and might be able to to you know move into the mainstream there as well
0: yeah it's, it's a question of time i think i think certainly like over, over time we'll see more and more and
1: if probably if we look back at like a broadcast
0: or like looked at a newspaper from five or six years ago and we'd be like oh, there's nothing in it at all and then you look at one today and like you'd be like oh right yeah they're mentioning all sorts of stats and and whatever it is and you know it's not just kind of like basic like headlines there's, there's more to it now so there was, a, definitely there was a coach
1: today that posted something about conversion rates for forwards and your training and i just like there's so much wrong with this comment that like it's hard to unpack it you have to you have to basically say all right you need to understand that you know nothing about how goal scoring actually works right now and we need to reteach you from the ground up and that's a hell of a spot to, to start a conversation, <laughs>
0: but it's also the fact that someone like you know someone someone you know I don't know who you're talking about but like say a coach now in 2019 is like actually going to find to dig out the numbers and like trying to learn something about this from a numerical perspective they might not have done that five years ago so
1: well you know, and don't give them shit with if they get little details wrong because you'll just turn them off you want it the other way around you want them to ask questions you want to adjust them a little bit and make them smarter but you don't just start out understanding all this stuff it is. Slightly challenging. Hey, it's a good segue to say that uh, signups are still open for our introduction to analytics courses. Uh, they're designed for for coaching type people, analysts, but also hobbyists and fans that, that sort of want to see what we're doing. Um, we have a lot of, you know, James has done a really good job in building this course. We have a lot of confidence in it. Uh, tickets are still available in New York, London, and Los Angeles this summer. Um, but yeah, ex- exactly. And, and it's the type of thing where media people, pundits can come there. Uh, or we can go to them if they want to pay us to do it and, and teach you and, and hopefully make you pretty smart pretty fast about the game. It's not that hard. Yeah,
0: for sure. All right, that's a good way to end, I think, Ted. We've done a good good hour there. Good Thanks podcast. for listening,
1: everybody. Uh, we may or may not be back in all of these future weeks. Apparently, we're going to have to transition to uh, transfers soon. I don't know if you guys like that type of stuff.
0: They might do. Okay. All right, then. Cheers, mate.